0: to that and we know far more and we've had hope realized in our hearts but we too look forward to hope because the plan of salvation is not done one day we will go to be with you forever and that is our hope so I just pray that uh, hope would be renewed in our hearts as we look at it this morning we just thank you as we begin this message just for the hope that you've given us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the old classic uh, Charles Dixon's book, uh, Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge is a hard-hearted miser. And as we, in the book, as they come up to Christmas, his nephew uh, greets him with, uh, warmly with the words, a Merry Christmas! And Scrooge just replies, bah, humbug. And he goes on to say, Merry Christmas, out upon a Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money, a time for finding yourself a year older but not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with a Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? Well, Scrooge is not alone in asking that question, what's so merry about Christmas? A few years ago, a survey was done, and 45% of the respondents said that they dreaded the Christmas season. We're told that Christmas should be the happiest time of the year, filled with joy, food, family, presents, fun, Yet for many, it's a season of depression, blowing budgets, greater debt, hectic schedules, and for many, greater loneliness. One man writing about Christmas said that for him, Christmas came at the end of a tough year. His wife of 20 years had divorced him, his employer of 25 years had fired him, and then before Christmas, he was diagnosed with cancer. And so he was asking the same question that Scrooge had asked. What's so merry about Christmas? For some, there will be an empty chair at Christmas, and the season is marked by sadness and grief. Now, food, family, and fun is all great, but it's not the reason for Christmas. Because if it's the reason for Christmas, then there's for many people, there's little reason to be merry at Christmas. And when there's no reason to be merry at Christmas, we join the ranks of Scrooge, who said, Humbug on it all. Now, I have to look up what humbug means. And it means uh, that it's all a deception. It's not real. But it came to be an expression of disgust and disbelief. Bah, humbug. I don't believe it, and I'm disgusted with the idea. This morning, I want to give you a reason why you can be joyful, no matter what your circumstance. Even if you're dreading Christmas, there's still reason to be joyful. Because as Christians, the central reason of joy at Christmas is not food, family, and fun. As good as they are. What we celebrate is our hope. And it's hope that gives us reason to celebrate no matter what our circumstance is. So Christmas is not a season of humbug. It's real. The hope is real. And we celebrate that hope. But it's too easy to forget what we celebrate and we begin to celebrate the food, family, and fun. We celebrate the traditions, but we lose the meaning. So first of all, The meaning of hope, what does it mean? Well, hope is future-focused. Hope is a confident expectation of future events. John Piper said this, Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. If you look up in the dictionary, you'll find that it says it's a feeling of expectation, a desire for a particular thing to happen. Hebrews 11.1 1 puts it this way. He says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. Or the NIV puts it, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so actually biblical hope is an interplay of faith and expectation. It's something you anticipate something which you want to see happen, we don't hope for what we already have. We hope for what we don't have yet. And in faith, we are sure of receiving it. So at Christmas, when we focus on what we're missing at Christmas, and if you're sitting wondering if this is going to be a humbug Christmas, it's not going to be very great, maybe even a huge disappointment, But if we can, by faith, focus on what we don't have yet and have an anticipation of that as we go through Christmas, it makes it into a Christmas of joy. So faith is the confidence that what we hope for and anticipate will actually happen. When our son was two years old, and it was coming up a couple weeks before Christmas, uh, the one day he just went up to the Christmas tree And of all the presents were under that tree, he just went and he picked out, he didn't go and look at them all. He would just go to a present and he'd say, this one's mine, and he'd set it off to the side. And then he'd go to another one, this one's mine, and he'd set it off to the side. He went and picked out every one of his presents and left all the rest alone. And we are how does he know that? And then he would pick up the first one and he would say, now this one is, and he would name it. And he went through all of them, and he named them exactly what was in each present. And we were just, how did he do that? We hadn't been talking about what we were going to buy him. But the next couple weeks, the days leading up to Christmas, they were joyful expectation for him because in his mind, he knew exactly what he was getting. He knew what was in each present. And so he was joyfully anticipating that. Now, I don't know how he did that. But, you know, we have it so much easier. Because that present that is coming, God has already told us what's in it. We already know. And so we can, in a sense, comprehend what we're going to receive. Now, we haven't been told everything that's in that present, but we've been told enough to be excited about our wonderful eternal future. And so hope is the anticipation of that future. Now, there are two aspects, two sides to hope, and both are necessary. There's what we hope for. First Peter 1, uh, 3 through 9, you can go read the whole thing. I'm, I have so many passages this morning, I'm going to just briefly tell you what's in each one of them. But Peter says that we have been given a new birth into a living hope. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And in this we greatly rejoice, he says. You have an inheritance, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have an inheritance waiting for you that can never fade, perish, or spoil. It's yours. And I just encourage you, as you go through this Christmas season, just begin to look at heaven. See what the Bible says. Do a study. It'll fill you with hope. And so this is the Advent season, and the purpose of Advent is to reflect and prepare yourself for Christmas. So I encourage you to take the time, study out what is your inheritance going to be uh, like. What are you going to be like in heaven? And on it goes. So that's the first aspect of hope. Hope always hopes in something. But the second aspect uh, are, oh, sorry, hope always hopes for something. And so heaven is what we hope for. But the second aspect is hope always hopes in something. And so those are two different things. So let me illustrate it from my marriage. I have a strong hope, a strong expectation that Esther and I are going to stay married to each other for as long as we live. We're best friends, and we enjoy each other a lot. And so I anticipate our years ahead. Now that is what I hope for. But what is this hope placed in? What actually makes me sure of that that gives me that anticipation? My anticipation is based in her character. Over 41 years ago, she made a promise to me that she would love me until death parts us. And 41 years ago, I believed that promise she made. I believed in her character back then. And she has spent the last 41 years proving her character to me. I have 41 years of evidence about the nature of her will and about the work of God in her life. So that today our love is stronger than ever. Deeper. And so as we talk about the years ahead, I don't say, I hope that you'll stick with me. No, I say, I know you will stay with me. Why the certainty? It's the certainty of knowing her character. It's her character that allows me to sleep at night without that worry. It carries us through the rough times, and eventually it'll carry us through to the grave. Biblical hope is not the mere desire for something good to happen. It's not just what you hope for, but it has a certainty behind it because it's based in the character of a person. Now, if I can be certain based on the character of Esther, who is a fallible person, because she has proved herself to me over 41 years, how much more can I be certain of my future when it's based in the character of God? God who can do no wrong. God who cannot lie. God who has proven his character ever since the beginning of time. Let me illustrate this from a biblical story, the story of Abraham. If you go to Genesis 15 and read that, uh, I'm going to just paraphrase it and cut out a lot here. But God has already made promises to Abraham about uh, who he is and what he's going to do. He's going to have the land and descendants. Uh, He's already had that promise. And God comes to him in Genesis 15, and he says, Do not fear, Abraham. I'm a shield to you. Your reward is going to be very great. And Abraham knows what he's talking about in the reward. He's going to have descendants, and they're going to inherit the land. And Abraham's reply is, uh, because he's struggling with this, he's getting to be an old man. And they're both long past childbearing age. And he says, God, what can you give to me? I'm an old man. And because I have no heirs, everything I have is actually going to go to my servant. He's going to be my heir. You haven't given any offspring to me. You haven't given me any children. God, it's actually your fault. You didn't give me children. You see, Abraham is struggling because he sees the impossibility of the hope that God is putting in front of him. And he danger, he comes dangerously close to calling God a liar. Doesn't quite go there, but he lets God know what you're saying is impossible. You didn't do it, and it's impossible. And God graciously comes back to him and he says, "No, this man isn't going to be your your heir, this servant, but it's going to be a child that's from your own body. It's going to be your own child." And then he turns and he says, "Abraham, just go look outside and count all the stars." And uh, see if you're able to count them. And Abraham can't. Well, that's the way your descendants are going to be. They're going to be on counting. What's God do? He simply asks Abraham to believe in who God is in his character. That's what he's doing. And so Abraham has to take a step of faith and put faith with hope. And he does it. And so he does a little better here. And uh, he believes, he says, he believed the Lord, and God counted it as righteousness to him. So he chose to believe in the character of God rather than the impossibility of a situation. And so God responds to him, and he says, okay, I'm the God who brought you from Ur of the Chaldees. I'm going to give you this land to possess it. And now Abraham goes back struggling, and he's, he's put faith to hope when it comes to having a descendant. But now he's struggling with putting faith to hope in, are they going to have the land? Because at this point, all Abraham is doing, he owns nothing. He's wandering as a nomad. And so he's so struggling. This time he doesn't say, okay, God, you know, it's impossible. He's made a step forward. But he says, God, can you give me a sign? How will I know that I'll possess it? Can you give me something? Because it still seems impossible. So God graciously gives him a sign. But the sign again goes right back to God's character. God cuts a covenant with Abraham. Now here's what cutting a covenant was in their culture. God told him to bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon, and God told them, told him to. Uh, they actually put them in a line, and uh, they would cut the throat, let the blood drain out on the ground, and they cut the animal in half and lay one half on each side, where that blood was. And they did it with each of the animals. The, uh, with the the two birds instead of cutting them in half, they put one on each side. Now. Cutting a covenant like this, was it was a cultural thing that they did. And so Abraham understood the significance of it. When you made a covenant with someone, and you wanted to make a covenant that was unbreakable, you cut a covenant with each other. And you would slaughter those animals, and together you would walk through the blood in between. It was a blood covenant. And in reality, what you're saying to each other is, may this be done to me if I don't fulfill my word. My life depends on it. This is a sure covenant, a sure promise as my own life. And so in essence, God says, my promises depend on who I am, on my very life. Can you take away God's life? No. Can you take away God's word and the surety of his word? No. No. It's as sure as who I am. He's, he's pointing Abraham right back to his character, and he's asking Abraham, are you going to believe that? Will you put faith and hope together? And so he's asking Abraham to depend on his character. Hebrews 6, 13 through 15, uh, referring back to this, he said, since there was no one greater for God to swear by, he swore by himself, by his own character, And said, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And Abraham believed and he says that he waited patiently for it. And so this is who we hope in. Hope calls for you to hope in the character of God. That's why Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Why? Why? Because it's placed in the character of God. That's what gives us the the assurance of that. Verse 11 and 12 says that Abraham, through this, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Abraham came to the place where he fully believed in the character of God. And so, therefore, then I can follow your promise. Later, God tested him. And he I told him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, we don't get it in the Old Testament, how Abraham went through that, what was his thinking, but Hebrews gives us his thinking. It says that Abraham reasoned. This is how sure he was in God's character. God has said, I'll give you your son, Isaac. And through him, I'll bring out many descendants. And so if he was going to have to sacrifice Isaac, there's only one way that that could happen, and that was that God was going to raise him from the dead and give him the descendants. And so Abraham was willing to obey. Now God stopped him from having to do it. But it was the ultimate test of how much Abraham depended on the character of God. Hebrews ten, nineteen through 23, referring to this too, is that because of this, Because God has cut another covenant, a blood covenant. Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. And God swore a covenant based on that blood. The Old Testament was blood shed by animals God swore a covenant by. Now we have it sworn by the blood of his son. And based in the character of God, we know he's going to fulfill his promises says that we can draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. The issue of faith is whether you believe in the character of God. And because we believe in the character of God, Paul says we can hold on swervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So hope and faith walk together. You can't separate them. Hope doesn't waver because it's rooted in the character of God. Hope does waver when we don't root it in the character of God. And so God has cut a covenant with us. God cannot lie. He has proven himself over and over again. Hope doesn't waver because it's rooted in the faithfulness of God. So here's what hope is. Hope is faith looking into the future. Hope is simply the part of faith that focuses on the future. When faith is directed towards the future, we call it hope. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is the larger idea. It's our confidence in God, in his word, in his character, and when it touches on our future, it's our hope. It's our sure expectation. So faith is... It's confident waiting. Hope is faith in the future tense. In Romans chapter 4, going back to Abraham, used, Paul uses Abraham as an example here. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Against all hope, Abraham acknowledged, he recognized, and that's where he struggled with it at first. There was no hope. It was an impossibility for them to have a child. But it says, in hope he believed. That was faith. Verse 20 says, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. So biblical hope is never based on our circumstances. When there's no hope, faith still hopes. Hope looks away from our circumstances and looks to God's promises and character Hope is a strong confidence in God's promises and God's character. So Hebrews 6 tells us that when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. He swore by his own character. And he's done the same for us. And that's why Paul says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So how do you build your hope? Well, it's by shifting your focus. Again, we learn it from Abraham. God made him wait many, many years. He gave the promise when it was already impossible, and then he makes him wait for many, many years until he's 99 years old. Sarah is 89. And he comes back and he says, you're going to have that son next year. It's going to happen. Now, Abraham could have looked at their age at that point, uh, but his hope has become secure. This time, there's no none of him saying, it's impossible, God. It was secure. You see, Abraham's focus had shifted from what was impossible to who God is. And when you shift to who God is, then what God promises become totally possible. In Psalm 42, 5 through 6, the psalmist is struggling with this, and uh, he relied on this principle, shifting your focus. Verse 5, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Now he knows why he's discouraged and depressed. He's in hard circumstances. It seems that God is distant, so much so that even his enemies are mocking him and they're saying, where's your God? Your God's not answering you. He's not helping you. Where's your God? They're mocking him. But the psalmist knew the answer to his discouragement. He needed to change his focus. And so he goes from, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? To put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's talking to himself. How many of you talk to yourselves? Quite a few. Well, you're in good company here. Uh, The psalmist was doing that. You know, we need to see our circumstances through God's love and character rather than God's love through our circumstances. If we focus on our circumstances, it's very hard to build hope. And as long as Abraham focused on the impossibility of having that child, he didn't have hope. It's only when he shifted his focus to who God is, to God's character, that he was able to build hope. Romans 8, I'm going to just go through 28 through 39. And I want to ask you some questions as we go through. Think of your circumstances here this morning, whatever it is. Paul wrote there, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? In your tough circumstances is your hope in God works for good for those who love him are you looking at the circumstance? Where's your focus? For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of a son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Do you believe that? That God is working out your circumstances to conform you into the image of Jesus? Are you focusing on that? And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Are you focusing on what God has done? What shall we say then in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that? Is that your focus? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you believe that? Are you focusing there? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you focus on that? Is that your hope? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written, for your sake all We face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered, even in the worst of circumstances. Do you focus on the fact that God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you? Do you see the hope? No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? It doesn't matter how bad it gets. There's nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Do you believe that? Is that your focus? You see, if you shift your focus from your circumstances to who God is, that's what builds hope in our lives. Paul in Philippians said that he was confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Have you shifted your focus there? Now here's what hope will do for you. It'll turn us into bulldogs of determination. It changes us from pessimist to optimist. A Christian pessimist is a person without hope. A Christian optimist is a person whose hope is in God's promises, in His character. Now, an evangelist once told the story. He loved to hunt upland game birds, and he had two uh, setter dogs that he would use to hunt with him, and he kept them in his backyard. And he said one morning when he was out in the yard, a little bulldog came uh, just shuffling and snorting his way down the back alley, and he stopped at their back fence and began to dig under the fence, and uh, soon he had dug a hole, and he squeezed through into the yard, and it was easy to see that he meant business. And at first, the the evangelist, knowing that his setters would attack that little bulldog, he thought he would better lock up his setters so they wouldn't hurt the little bulldog. But then he thought, why not let them teach him a lesson? And so round and round those dogs went, and uh, there was growls and whimpering as the bulldog hair flew everywhere. And finally the bulldog had had enough, and he squeezed back under the fence and uh, went home to lick his sores. And the evangelist said, I thought I would never see him again. But he said the next day, same time, the bulldog was back and squeezed under that fence and after the setters again." And, Again, they beat the stuffing out of that little bull legged creature, and it would have been serious if the bulldog had the last minute he escaped under the fence and retreated back down the alley. Third day, same time, the bulldog was back. Same time, same place, same results. Then the evangelist said that he left for a series of meetings and he was gone for several weeks, and when he came home, he asked his wife, he said, What happened? And she said, Honey, you won't believe what has happened. Every day, every morning, that little bulldog came back and would squeeze under that fence and he would fight with our setters. He never missed a day. Every day he got beat up and he'd go home. But she said eventually it came to the point that when those setters would hear that bulldog snorting down his way down the back alley, they would whine and run for the basement said, now that little bulldog just struts around her backyard just like he owns it. Well, that's what you call dogged determination. But that's what hope does for you. If you have a hope that's based in the character of God, you become like Abraham who faithfully year after year just clung to his hope and didn't give up. It turns us into optimists. It keeps us, gives us the strength to keep going. But, you know, it's not baseless. It's not like the little boy. Uh, there's the story of a man who came late to the little league baseball game, and he asked the boy in the dugout what the score was, and the boy responded. He said, it's 18 to nothing, and we're behind. To which the spectator said, well, I bet you're really discouraged with that. And the boy said, why would I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. Well, his hope is kind of baseless, isn't it, in that situation? But our hope is not baseless. That's why Job, who was in the worst of circumstances, his children were all killed, he had lost all of his possessions, his wife had given up, his friends were harassing him, his entire body is covered with boils, He's just, his entire body was just oozing with pus. He's in great pain. And he feels like God has abandoned him. Because God isn't answering his questions. And this is what he says in the midst of that. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed. Yet in my flesh I shall see God. I myself shall see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. You can't get much worse than what Job was facing. And yet he never gave up his hope and was based in the character of God. What did Job do? He refused to focus on the circumstances. He shifted it to the character of God. And that's how we build hope. But it's so easy for us to lose that. There is an ancient practice the Jews used to do, and some still do it today. At Passover time, as they're celebrating Passover, they'd place an empty chair at the table. And this chair was for the prophet Elijah, because there was the prophecy that a prophet, as it turns out, a prophet in the spirit of Elijah, would come and announce the coming of the Messiah. And so this chair was for Elijah, because if Elijah would come to their feast, they knew that the Messiah was soon at hand. That was their hope. It was an act of confidence and optimism, a symbol of their hope. But eventually when Elijah did come, and that was referring to John the Baptist, they didn't offer him a chair. They killed him. And the one whom John the Baptist had come to announce, who was Jesus, they also killed. And we could say, how could they? Didn't they know that he was the hope of ages? Didn't they know that this was why the chair was there? And Jesus made it very clear. Yes, they did know what they're doing. But they had substituted other hopes and dreams for the hope of the Messiah. They kept the tradition. But their hope no longer really was in a Messiah who had saved them from their sins. Their hope was in a Messiah who would give them an empire and power and wealth. It substituted their dreams, their hope. You know, today we still face the same issue. Every year we still remember the first coming of Jesus and we think about his second coming. And it's so easy to get sidetracked onto other hopes, and we set aside the real hope. You know, centuries ago, the early Christians thought that it was wisdom to institute the Advent season, four weeks of preparing our hearts to remember the coming of Jesus. And in their wisdom, they chose hope as the theme of the first week. And so this week, as we go through hope, and maybe at Christmas, I encourage you to pick a symbol. It might be you put an empty chair there and it symbolizes the coming of jesus again maybe you have some other kind of symbol but pick some kind of symbol that you've chosen to represent all the promises that god has given you of the things to come and remember as you do it that it's all based in the character of who he is